Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala sayyidil mursalin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the beginning and at the end. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow our entire lives to be filled with shukr and gratitude to Him at every moment for us to acknowledge and to recognize and then to openly thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what He has given us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us security and thus we can get up in the morning, we can go out by ourselves both our men, our women, even our children to a certain degree and feel a sense of security that we will get from point A to B, we will get to our destination without too much of a problem. This we take for granted because we've experienced this and enjoyed this for a very long time. However, there are many parts of the world where many people live and unfortunately this is not the case. In fact, in many places, people are having to move away from their homes for the sake of safety. Shelters and other places where you have to share with many other people. And clearly, when you're not in your own surroundings and within your own environment, that could be so destabilizing. So then you understand the barakah and the blessing of having your own place, feeling comfortable, feeling at home, feeling confident, feeling in control. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, alhamdulillah, security and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala maintain that security and extend that security to all the people of the world. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us health. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us access to hospitals, to doctors, to good treatment, state-of-the-art equipment, some of the best specialists in the world. Other people come to our countries to paying huge amounts of money because they think the treatment is better here. And in many senses it is because in terms of medical health, it's very progressive. Again, this is another thing to be thankful about. Plus in the UK for us, at least for the current time, we have free healthcare. You don't have to even pay to go to see a doctor, regardless of how wealthy you are. There's a bit of a waiting time and we criticize, but at the end of the day when you've experienced life in another system, where you have to pay for everything, and you actually have to think twice about whether you should go to the doctor or not, or where you should get a particular surgery or an operation, or whether you should do a treatment or not, do you have enough money to spare for that? And thus people end up doing treatments only for the most extreme circumstances, most emergency, in, in only emergencies in many cases. So this is all a bit of a waiting time, there's a bit of sabr involved, but really it is something to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us on top of that, our daily sustenance, 
I don't think anybody goes to sleep at night without having had his share of food, his or her share of food and having fed ourselves and our children. And probably also in most cases also knowing that for the next 20 days we're fine as well. Maybe even for the next 30 days. That is not the case in many places either. There have been people going from those areas in Burma to other places and they've been walking with their children and they haven't eaten for two or three days. And here we have access to food so easily. But still we criticize food. Thus food should not be criticized. The Prophet قَدْتُ He never criticized any kind of food. One is you do an academic criticism if somebody asks you how is this food compared to this. But in terms of saying, hey, this is really bad, I'm not going to eat it. If he didn't like something, and you know, naturally human beings like certain things, they prefer certain things, and they don't prefer certain things. That's a human thing. And the Prophet ﷺ was a human being, and thus, in some cases, he abstained from eating certain things. He just says, this, isn't, this, is, not a, this, is, not, this is not something that conforms to my nature. This is not something that I have a taste for. I, have a, I feel a bit of a revulsion uh, towards a certain uh, type of food. And so he abstained from eating it, but others ate it. So it wasn't that the Prophet ﷺ just ate anything. No, he was careful and considerate about what he ate. But he, if he didn't like something, he would just avoid it without criticizing it. So we have, alhamdulillah, we have our daily sustenance, we have security, and we also have our sense of health, alhamdulillah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we, we, we express our gratitude to Him. Because these are extremely important things to understand. We, alhamdulillah, haven't suffered any natural calamities as well like people have had. Some people are being displaced by human beings, other people are being displaced by natural means. So you have this around the world, both in progress, uh, pro, uh, advanced countries, uh, both in island paradise, uh, places that are considered to be paradise, uh, where totally everything is destroyed. So there's a lot for us to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. Now what we need to do is something which is very difficult, is to kind of extract ourselves from the lures of the world. Extract ourselves from the demands of the world in a sense that it's not our main concern. It is impossible for us not to be interactive, not to be interacting with the world, with the dunya, with the everything that goes on around us, because we are human beings, we are we come from other human beings, and we are responsible for cons- continuing the cycle of human uh, of of uh, human birth and human progression. That's our responsibility. The Prophet ﷺ said. Of course, he's addressing the men in this particular gathering. So he said, marry those women which are very loving and those who are very productive, who are very fertile. You wouldn't know that, but you would know that from their family, that they have a lot of children in their family. They don't have an issue of being barren. And then the Prophet said, because I will... I will boast of my huge number on the Day of Judgment. I would take pride. I would take pride in my large number and extensive Ummah on the Day of Judgment. 
So it is actually recommended to progress the ummah in that regard and to procreate. So we are human creatures. We have been told of responsibilities towards others. If a person doesn't care about their neighbor, if a person is not concerned about their neighbor, then that person is considered to be unsocial in Islam. The Prophet said, if you've got a bit of food, and you've just got a bit of meat, because meat is an, it's, it's expensive. So if you've only got a bit of meat, that's fine. Just add a bit of extra water, because water would be easy to come by. He's not saying add extra meat, but if you've only got a limited amount of meat, add a bit of extra water. Make a more watery soup, and then share some with your neighbor. So we're told to be social. Humans interact with other creatures. Now we've obviously in this country replaced animals with cars and uh, many other things. Um, we have uh, technical gadgets and appliances and so on and so forth. But we're essentially told to interact. It's a human nature to do that. The Prophet ﷺ remain within the city. Yes, for a short amount of times there would be a retreat. Even in Islam, the retreat that we have now, which is Atikaf, is actually with people. But just restrict yourself in a masjid with the believers. In fact, we're told once in our lifetime that you must go for Hajj. And Hajj is a massive social interaction. What is the barakah and blessing of going for Hajj? One is the focus is that the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. So your focus must be that. And when you're, the whole challenge is that there's such a huge number of people doing tawaf that you could very easily get distracted. What somebody's wearing, how somebody's reading something. And a lot of people read things in various different accents and various different mistakes they make. They do crazy things. But how are you able to walk around doing that tawaf and focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Question that arises is that why are you told to do it? In this particular way, anti-clockwise, seven times. Well, this is all within the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that there has to be a set and fixed amount and method of doing something so that it could be a uniform thing. Otherwise, it becomes arbitrary. And then somebody may end up just doing one round. Somebody may end up doing 20 rounds. Somebody may end up doing 70 rounds. Somebody just last year in Hajj, for some reason he thought that a tawaf was seven rounds, meaning seven tawafs, and thus seven times seven, he did 49. Somebody called him, he says, oh, I'm doing tawaf. Several hours later, he called him again, I'm nearly finished. What have you been doing all day? 49 times around. So arbitrarily people could make such mistakes. So there's a sense of conformity, a point of focus. And the closest that you can get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, though you, the closest you get is with worship and with ibadat. But humans like to touch things, they like to look at things, and they relate to these things. They relate by sense and touch. So we're told to get to the Kaaba, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And told to go around it. But the whole point there is then we're told that your focus is not the bricks of the house. Because really what is the Kaaba? Though it's always, uh, for, the, for as much as we can remember, it's always had a building there. 
But the building was longer, it was uh, actually rectangular before in time of Ibrahim السلام, until the time of the Prophet وسلم, and then it was made smaller because they had less supplies. So what is really the Kaaba is that area that extends all the way up to the seventh heaven. So that location is the Kaaba. And the angels have their Kaaba on the seventh heaven. We're at least lucky that we can go and do Tawaf many times. The angels only get to do it once in their lifetime. Every day 70,000 get to do it and then there's, they don't ever get a chance to do it again. So that is a focal point for every Muslim to go to. Now what happens there is that when it gets very busy, the more people there are, you then have to manage yourself. So we're told to learn interaction, management of our akhlaq, our character. Somebody's going to shove you, somebody's going to push you, whether they intend it or not. And it's actually very interesting that they're the ones who get angry that somebody's, you know, maybe somebody, because you, you, know, you don't know who's pushing really sometimes. It just carries on, carries through people. And then somebody turns on in anger and says, sabr, sabr. And somebody tells him, you do sabr because you're the one not doing sabr. You're telling him to do sabr in an angry tone. So why don't you tell him in a relaxed way? You need sabr. So it gets confusing as to who is really doing sabr and who needs to do sabr. It's, it gets really confusing. There was one person that was observed doing tawaf right by the Kaaba uh, this year. So he was going right around the Kaaba in a very, very busy time. I did tawaf at that time as well. It was very, very busy. You hardly had room to move, especially if you were inside. He was doing uh, around, he was very tall, he had, a sh uh, he, he, he had his head covered and he was just crying and he was just walking and essentially he was walking at a very slow pace. He was walking at a very, very, very slow pace and the person in my group who saw him, he said he was just amazed that there was nobody touching him. Everybody was just kind of leaving a space around him and he was going slower than everybody else and just crying, just totally absorbed in something else. He wasn't caring about anybody, he was just walking on his own. You could tell that his tawaf was purely for the sake of Allah, it seemed. And thus, because of that, nobody was touching him. They would just go past him. They would actually leave him space. It's almost like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created a halo around him. And thus he was just moving along. And this person who was with his family, had three children with him and his, his wife, he was just amazed at, at this scene when everybody's hustling and bustling around. Imam Muhasibi says, he says, وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ مَنْ جَعَلَ هَمَّهُ الْآخِرَةِ كَفَاهُ اللَّهُ أَمْرَ Whoever listens to this carefully, he says that, and know that anybody who makes their concern the hereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suffice them in their matters of the dunya. Now don't jump to conclusions immediately in a negative sense saying that oh this is trying to say that just focus on the hereafter just worship 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 and don't do any work sit at home and just do tahajjud prayer and ishraq in the daytime and read quran and so on that's that's what a lot of people jump to conclusion to from such a statement but that's not what the statement is saying is it it's saying that make your concern the hereafter hum hum is a worry concern your 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 worry for something your interest in something, your ambition for something. 
that it concerns you, it moves you, it forces you to do something about it. That entire concern should be for the Akhirah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then will suffice you for your dunya. So I would read this by saying that the more your concern is of the hereafter, that is in proportion to that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suffice you of the dunya. So if your concern is to a certain degree of the akhirah, I think you will get that much benefit. It's essentially tawakkul. This, this, under, uh, this un, is underpinned by tawakkul and reliance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does he mean by... What, what does he mean that you must make your concern the hereafter? Making your concern for the hereafter doesn't mean that you don't do anything for this world. You do. You get a job. And you go out. You don't do like some dry people who think that they're doing this correctly and say that because it's some men, because it's a mixed environment outside, then I can't go and work. And then they sit at home and waste their time. Or some people, there's one uh, case I came across where the husband didn't go to work, saying that it's a mixed environment, he can't find a halal job like that. So he sent his wife out who wore a niqab to work. So you do get some crazy manifestations of these misinterpretations of these things. It's just saying you do what you have to do of the world while avoiding the haram and doing the halal and getting a job and everything, but your focus must be the hereafter in terms of your main concern. There are many different types of employees you will see. Some of them are always concerned about a pay rise. If they do any extra job, they expect a bonus. Others have an interest in their job. Their focus is that they want to see the company succeed. Some may not care about the company as much, but they like challenges. And they just like to do things in the best way possible. They may not have any affinity. For Somebody may work for British Gas. Somebody may work for um, some other company, BT for example. They don't really care about the whole company. It's too big for them to be concerned about. They're just a small factor in the entire company. But they just like a challenge and not for the money. They just, have, mashallah, Allah has made them in a way that they just like to sort things out and do things well, regardless of that. So you get different types of people. So the focus needs to be in the hereafter. Now, one of the problems that we've seen, I've got a friend who worked for British Gas. Then he moved over to some another energy provider. And what he realized is that he was... Made, uh, in this case, he was pulled over by the other company as a manager, uh, as a team manager for installing, what do you call them, uh, smart meters. This is a new thing in England that all houses should have smart meters eventually. So the energy companies are rolling them out. So they're hiring a lot of people. So he was working for British Gas for that purpose, but then he, got move, he, he, he was uh, pulled over by this other company as a manager of a team that does that. And what he realized within there is that his boss, who's an Englishman, he puts him in charge of these several people, among which there's a few of subcontinent people, some uh, Pakistani brothers and others. And what had been happening in that company is that they were using the racial card every time that somebody tried to discipline them. And they were the idea, the whole idea is that you get six meters fitted in a day. That was the, the goal. That was what everybody should be doing. 
They were just about doing one or two. And then they were just, they said, they just can't do any more than that. Anybody who tried to discipline, correct them, give them a hearing, whatever the case is, they played the racial card. So the higher manager was just very frustrated that he couldn't do anything, he can't get them out because it's a big union, and, and so on and so forth. So now this brother was a very decent brother, he was brought in, and he was made in charge of them. And he realized that he's got all the problematic people, and he sussed out the situation. He's telling, he's telling me that one of the guys who's causing this problem is a guy with a big beard who prays all the salat, very religious in that sense, all he's talking about religion. But when it comes to the work, you can tell when some, somebody clocks in because they have, they, all their system is tracked because of their vans and so on and so forth. He's supposed to start at 8 in the morning, he starts at 10 in the morning. Takes off, goes home for salat, etc., etc. And you can track everything because the, the van is tracked and so on and so forth. Finally, he gave them, he, he gave them their ultimatums. He, he talked to them and everything. And eventually some of them actually just left. Their free ride was over. But what it does is that it actually creates a resentment towards a certain category or ethnicity of people because of the way certain people deal. Now, if their focus was really the Akhirah, then them doing this was completely wrong. They're saying, some of them, not all of them, but some of them are saying that we're, you know, and they pray and everything else. But it means that they're just fulfilling one action of the deen. They're not fulfilling another action of the deen. One of the dimensions of the deen is the ibadat, is the worships. They seem to be very strong in their worship. But when it comes to the mu'amalat, the dealing and how you should be good in your dealings, that's just completely wrong. So the money you're earning is haram. A portion of the money, a much of the portion of the money you're earning is haram. So this is the problem that we really need to take care of. And this is, I wouldn't say this is a Muslim problem. A lot of people reduce this to be a Muslim problem. It's more of an ethnicity problem. It's just that we're people who come from certain countries where it's just a cutthroat competition in these kind of things and it's just about swindling one another. It's just one of those kind of things sometimes. You don't necessarily see Muslims from other parts of the world doing the same thing. Certain people from certain communities, whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim, they're just bad at coming to places on time in general. But that's not the case with others. We had this discussion in Hajj. So everybody thinks that because... They're Indian, it's an Indian problem. Because they're Pakistani, it's a Pakistani problem. Because, it's, uh, because they're... Um, I, I've even had a discussion with Jewish colleagues and it's like, oh, this is a Jewish problem. Jewish, Jews always come late. But is it a Jewish problem? Do you understand? Everybody conflates it. But then we were talking with some... There was a, a Cypriot, a Turkish brother there. He says, yeah, we, we, he says, I went to a Pakistani wedding once or an Indian wedding once. And it, was, it said on the card, 6 o'clock, I got there, and there was nobody there, not even tables were laid out. Right. So, we're used to going on time, he says. When we get there, it's all done, you know, it's all ready and everything. They're Muslim as well, and these guys are Muslim as well. And likewise, you get that. So, each person has an individual challenge. If the focus is the hereafter, then it helps to alleviate a lot of problems in this world because when you know there's a hereafter to go to which you have to work for and if you've been oppressed then you'll get Allah will reward you there and give you your right therefore that just makes life easier to live in 
So he says that know, know clearly that whoever makes his focus the Akhirah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suffice him in his matters of this dunya. As is mentioned in a hadith, تَفَرَّغُوا مِنْ هُمُومِ الدُّنْيَا مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ فَإِنْ فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ كَانَتِ الدُّنْيَا أَكْبَرَ هَمِّهِ أَفْشَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ ضَيْعَتَهُ وَجَعَلَ فَقْرَهُ بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْهِ وَمَنْ كَانَتِ الْآخِرَةُ أَكْبَرَ هَمِّهِ جَمَعَ اللَّهُ لَهُ أَمْرَهُ وَجَعَلَ غِنَاهُ فِي قَلْبِهِ Free yourselves from the concerns of the dunya as much as possible. It's added there, as much as possible. It may be difficult for you to be not concerned at all because, you know, sometimes when you don't have food to feed your family, you're going to be concerned. My assessment of the world is that there are certain people that Allah has just tested. Whether they're religious or not, they generally are just not very good at making money. Right? And there are certain people who are just good at making money meaning a sufficient amount of money, whether they're religious or not. Because they see opportunities. And there are certain people who Allah has given a golden finger to, whether they're religious or not. Do you understand? And they just, mashallah, always see opportunities and it's just been running in the family and they just don't know how to do it. It's an environment that's created. What the Prophet wasallam is saying that you must... Free yourself from the concerns of the dunya as much as possible. Knowing that it may be difficult to completely free yourself. But as much as possible. How do you do that? The only way you can do that is by thinking of the past when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has assisted us and helped us. Despite our concerns, despite having nothing at our disposal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has helped us. Read the Quran with thought, reflection. And see how Allah has helped communities. And just build that trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that will help us. Then he says, anybody who makes the dunya his greatest concern. How do you make the dunya your greatest concern? What do you think? How do you tell that somebody's greatest concern is the dunya? That means they never they're never thinking of the hereafter. The hereafter this doesn't figure. Everything of theirs is just focused on what am I going to do? What am I going to do for myself? What am I going to do for my children? Right? It's just these massive concerns and there's a never-ending concern in the world. You can never be satisfied. So the majority, their greatest discussion, their greatest focus is the dunya. Now, very simply put, somebody, when it's salat time, I'm going to the masjid. And they believe that, they actually believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide them. They actually believe it, sense it, experience it and feel it. The other one who is a believer, who makes the dunya his greatest concern, also believes in the realm of just theology. Uh, this theological belief that yes, I do believe that uh, Allah will provide. But in actual experience it doesn't happen. If you feel yourself jealous of somebody else because they're doing better, they did an investment and you lost out, or they had an opportunity and you didn't get it, right? Or they just got a better job and you didn't, or they've got a better house and you haven't, then this means that generally speaking, we are suffering from 
greater concern of the dunya. If we see other people with more, but we think, Alhamdulillah, Allah has given me and I'm satisfied with what I have. He's got more, a lot more than I have. But Alhamdulillah, I've got, look, I've got money. I've, I get my food, I get my clothing, I get my, Alhamdulillah, I get my salat. Alhamdulillah. I wouldn't mind some more, but I'm satisfied with this. I'm not jealous. I don't feel bad. I don't feel resentment. That part is important. A lot of people come up and this is, the, this is their big issue in life. You know when they start getting worried, when they listen to things like this, and they start actually wondering where they are, that's when they start realizing that, hey, my feeling of resentment is a bad thing, they don't like it. Feeling of resentment is bad, especially when you can't do anything about it. When you can't do anything, when, what I mean by when you can't do anything about it, is that where you can't reach that person's level that you are envious of. It makes you feel even bad. It makes you feel even worse. And that's why Allah Haskafi, he mentions that how astonishing is Allah's plan for this world. That for the hasid, he has made the punishment all within. It's all self-contained punishment. Because that person will suffer, suffer because of his resentment towards others of what they have. That needs to be eradicated by focusing on what we do have. Because if Allah wanted to give us what they have, then we can ask Allah. But if we feel resentment, this is the problem. So that's why anybody who's, uh, for whom the dunya is the greatest concern, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will actually extend for him, will spread out for him his, his estate. He, he will give you a lot more in terms of the dunya and you will then be just trying to run around to put it all together and keep it in control and you'll actually have no focus on the hereafter. So you may get more of this world but you will be restless. You will just be day and night focused on that and while you may see substance and have it and possess it you won't be able to do much with it because you'll be so busy. We're running from one end to the other to try to do it. If you make the dunya, that's just the nature of it. The more you get into it, the more you want it, the more, it, the more opportunities that arise. And you know, anybody will tell you that the more, where do you get business opportunities from? By sitting at home? Or by actually going, when you meet a supplier, you, meet, you have 10 suppliers, you talk to them. And they say, oh, there's this new product coming. Okay, I need to start that line as well. And a few months later, another one tells you, hey, this is really great product that's coming in from China or Malaysia or whatever it is. You start that product. Now, these are all various different management concerns. And generally, human beings are greedy, so they just try it. They don't do it slowly. And then you're just running around and then you get more engrossed. Now, if you have some concern for the Akhirah, finished. You're in this major dilemma now that I've got the dunya that I was feeling resentful about, but I have no time for anything else. And then it's only those that Allah gives tawfiq to that escape out of that and that are able to manage this. Sometimes Allah forces you to do it. And when Allah forces you, if he, if he likes you for some reason, you've made some sincere dua, then Allah will force you out so that you feel very bad leaving your business. You will feel bad, really, really bad closing it down or, uh, or winding it down. But the, the adjustment will be very tough. But inshallah, at the end, if Allah loves you and Allah has given you a tawfiq and you've asked Allah sincerely, He will force you to do this. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Then He says, 
وَجَعَلَ فَقْرَهُ بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْهِ And he will place his poverty in front of his eyes. Which means that the fear of poverty, the fear of having less, will always be in front. The fear of need will always be in front of him. So that it's just like he's got a hat, a headpiece, with poverty on a, essentially with, with, with poverty on a wire in front. And he just can't catch it up, but it's always there. That's what happens to such a person. وَمَنْ كَانَتِ الْآخِرَةُ أَكْبَرَ هَمِّهِ And whoever's focus, whoever's greatest concern is the Akhirah. Again, Akbar in Arabic is a relative term. Akbar means shape. Greater than. Doesn't mean you can't have no focus for the dunya. You do need a bit of focus to get somewhere. But if your greatest focus is that, then even when you're doing dunya, you will actually think of Akhirah. So, if your greatest concern is the Akhirah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will Jama'allahu lahu amrahu. And you know how beneficial that is? Allah will combine and gather and bring together His affairs. What does that mean? In other words, they will become manageable. Allah will allow him to manage and give him barakah through that management. He won't have to run around. He won't have no time. He won't be such a person who just doesn't have any time. But Allah will make barakah in his business or in his affairs and thus he'll have control over them so he can manage his time better and his lifestyle better. وَجَعَلَ غِنَاهُ فِي قَلْبِهِ And Allah will place in richness and independence in his heart. So you feel independent, you feel in control, you feel self-enriched. Requires an effort to change that in mind. Anything, just first, I think, in a practical sense, let us just focus on just taking stock of what we have. Don't look at what anybody else has. Look at ourselves in a vacuum. Do I have enough? Am I getting enough? Am I in control? Okay, I may have a debt, but am I in, you know, am I doing things that will manage my affairs and I'm going to be in control? That is what's most important. That's how you start. As soon as you start comparing yourself with others, then the dunya becomes our greatest concern. So always look at ourselves in terms of what Allah has given us and this will give us, inshallah, the opportunity to thank Allah. And that's why, if you look at Surah Al-Duha, this is exactly what happens. The Prophet ﷺ was... Uh, the wahi stopped after the initial few uh, revelations the wahi stopped and they used to give him a lot of comfort but now they've stopped people started saying that your shaitan has abandoned you meaning referring to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed it was what duha wa layli idha saja right allah tells him that you must uh, number one remember that weren't you found an orphan and allah looked after you weren't you found in need and allah gave you Weren't you found in need of guidance and Allah guided you? So hasn't Allah helped you in the past? So think about that. And then, then he says that, Go and actively do something. So the active, active duty is that you do something for the orphans, you do something for the poor. And then lastly, Allah says, That the bounties of your Lord, you must proclaim them. So if you have bounties of your Lord, acknowledge them. Otherwise, we will live our life with so many bounties, but we will never acknowledge them because we always think we don't have enough. So we don't see them as a bounty. We always want to see something else as a bounty. When we get that, there's a bigger idea. When we get that, there's another opportunity. So this is all on the wayside. We don't really get to appreciate and enjoy our bounties. 
When you see something as a gift, you start enjoying it. When you see something as just something of the path and something bigger is a bounty, then, then you don't get anything out of it. You don't enjoy it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq and really as the hadith mentions that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that richness in our heart and allow the greatest of our focus and concerns the hereafter. So that helps us to control our focus on the dunya. Wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta ya dal jalali wal ikram. Allahumma ya hayyu ya qayyum bi rahmatika nastaghith. اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم سبحان الله العلي الأعلى الوهاب يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا حي يا قيوم أو الله we ask you for your mercy أو الله we ask you for your blessings أو الله we ask you for contentment أو الله we ask you for forgiveness أو الله we ask you for a heart free of attachment to all others أو الله we ask you for our heart to be attached to you O Allah, we ask for your love and the love of those who love you. O Allah, we ask you for blessing in our life. O Allah, we ask you for strength in our iman. O Allah, we ask you for health, both spiritual and physical health. O Allah, grant us, our make our greatest concern the akhirah. O Allah, make us our greatest concern the akhirah. O Allah, we ask that you gather our affairs together. You allow us to be in control. You allow us to have time for our akhirah and make that our greatest concern. O oh Allah, for how much longer we'll be doing and chasing around the dunya the way we are. O oh Allah, whether we like it or not, O oh Allah, we ask that you make us of those who are focused on the hereafter. O oh Allah, each one of us here wants that. We find it very difficult. There are many obstacles in our life. O oh Allah, both mentally, both physically, socially. O oh Allah, we ask you for a conducive surrounding for our focus on your obedience. O oh Allah, make your obedience beloved to our heart. O oh Allah, make your disobedience hated in our heart. O oh Allah, we ask that you also do this for our progeny until the day of judgment. O oh Allah, that you protect us, our children, our progeny, our progeny until the day of judgment, that they, our spouses, our children, our families become a source of gladness for our eyes. O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us beneficial knowledge. O oh Allah, that you protect us from redundant knowledge, from useless t- waste of time. O oh Allah, today there are many things that are available to us, that are very close to us, that take our time away from what is useful, both from a worldly perspective, both from an akhirah perspective. O oh Allah, we ask you that you make our focus the hereafter so that we don't waste our time, that we focus on doing the right activities. Oh Allah, make us of those who help and assist others, who help themselves and who help others. Oh Allah, allow us to be of those like who the Sahaba were, how the Prophet ﷺ trained them. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us the barakah and the blessing that you have granted to the Sahaba and to the great people before us. Oh Allah, make us of those who are close to you. O oh Allah, bless us in all of our endeavors. O oh Allah, bless us in our permissible endeavors. O oh Allah, allow us to choose only that which is right. O oh Allah, you be our guide in this world. O oh Allah, allow us to make you our guide and to follow Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allow us to bring the sunnah, sunnah, the sunnah acting in our home, the sunnah interaction in our home, the sunnah thought in our home. O oh Allah, 
you make us of those who you and the Prophet ﷺ will be satisfied with on the Day of Judgment. And O oh Allah, do not make us of those who the Prophet ﷺ will repel from his watering place on the Day of Judgment. O oh Allah, we call ourselves believers. We call ourselves followers of Muhammad ﷺ. O oh Allah, when we make a prostration, it is only to you and nobody else. O oh Allah, however broken we are, however weak we are, however deficient we are, and clearly we are deficient. O oh Allah, we are still your servants. O oh Allah, we have gathered here on this Sunday morning for this purpose. We could have been doing so many other things. You gave us the tawfiq to come in the first place. We thank you for this. O oh Allah, we are extremely grateful for this. O oh Allah, allow us to unite together in your name for your dhikr, for your remembrance, and bless this gathering. O oh Allah, do not let any one of us return from here without being forgiven, without being forgiven and all of our needs being met. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we're not at that stage where Akhirah is the, our greatest concern. But O oh Allah, we ask you, oh, we ask you that you make it like that and you give us the fruits of that. O oh Allah, there are people sitting here. Some of, the, some, some of us may be involved in various different forms of griefs and worries and problems and challenges in their life. Oh Allah, remove those challenges and those problems. Oh Allah, whatever people have come here for, whatever, whatever intention people have come with, Oh Allah, fulfill those intentions. Fulfill those and grant them the barakah and the blessing. Oh Allah, grant them barakah and blessing. Oh Allah, there are people here who have various challenges, maybe with their children, maybe with their work, maybe with their married lives. Oh Allah, in whatever situation it may be, O oh Allah, remove those problems and grant us barakah in whatever good we are doing. O oh Allah, allow us to focus on the positives in our life. Allow us to focus on the goods that you or, or on the good and the bounties that you have given us. O oh Allah, do not make us of the ungrateful ones. Do not make us of the unfortunate ones. Do not make us of the wretched ones. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, make every stage of the hereafter easy for us. And allow us, allow us on, on our deathbed to say the kalima la ilaha illallah. And on the day of judgment, be happy to meet you and you be happy to meet us. O oh Allah, we ask you to send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.